You may have heard the story that in Times Square in New York City, on the morning of December 1st, thousands of people gathered to watch a 30-minute video released called Light of the World, recorded by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The video appeared on a digital billboard in Times Square featuring images of, credible images of stars and angels and shepherds and Mary and Joseph, the nativity scene and baby Jesus. It was amazing. The billboard proclaimed that Jesus is the light of the world. And it shared a global invitation for all to light the world. The tagline was, this Christmas, share his light by letting your light shine. So today we celebrate the epiphany of the Lord. Epiphany is about light. It's about the light of Christ that has come into our world. In the earlier days of the church, before Christmas was on our calendar, Epiphany was the great feast of what we now think of as our Christmas season. It was the celebration of light coming into the world. In fact, our first reading today calls on Jerusalem to rise up in splendor because of the light that has come in the midst of the darkness that they were experiencing. They were being encouraged to not only have this light of God shine upon them, but they were being told through this prophecy that, that other nations would be guided by this light that they would possess. This message comes to a people coming back from exile to find ruin and an uncertain future. People who had suffered oppression, domination, violence, and uncertainty would experience through the prophet a reversal. Through this prophecy, they are told that through the power of God, the oppressed would be put in power. Those once stripped of resources and goods not only would receive what was taken from them, but they would become exceedingly wealthy in the process. Those driven far away from Jerusalem would return. The world, the text tells us, is about to be turned on its head. However, there is one problem with the text, and that is that this light comes in the midst of an unchanged system of imperial power. They will now be on top and responsible for how to use the light that God gives them with the hope that they don't simply move from being the oppressed to becoming the oppressor. They must carry their light in the midst of a dark, imperial, empire-driven world. So as we're talking about light, we know that in our own world, yesterday over 7,000 customers in the Rochester area, because of our essential upgrade to our national grid system, had to prepare for at least nine hours to be in the dark without the power of light. So often we take light for granted. We live in a world of light where we generally have access to electricity to turn on a switch anytime we need it. Light brings us clarity, gives us guidance. And if I have good lighting in my house, I know that when I come down the stairs that there is a six-foot Santa standing by my fireplace. <laughs> but if I don't have good lighting, I think that there's a six-foot man that has broken into my house and waiting at the fireplace to mug me. <laughs> so living in a world of physical light is important. 
But we don't just live in a world with physical light. We live in a world of spiritual light, a world where God is calling on us to drench the world with the light of Jesus. Marianne Williamson, an author and spiritual leader, once said, the light in you is the unalterable truth of who you are. You can deny it and obscure it, but you cannot uncreate it. We need that drenching of light to end the darkness, especially as we watch the surge of hate against Jews and Muslims throughout the world, as we watch the wars in Gaza, Ukraine, and Africa that ignores the loss of civilian lives and children, as we watch school shootings that continue to terrorize our children. Epiphany is a call to bring the light of peace and love. So how does one bring this light into the world that Isaiah is talking about? Perhaps by taking a lesson from the Magi in this gospel, who saw a light, a star, and they chose to follow it. From the east, they are curious enough about the light to explore it just a little more. And explore it they do. As they follow the star, it leads them to Jerusalem, where they began to ask where this newborn king is that they have come to see. These three magi find themselves lost. They are in Jerusalem looking for Jesus. Have you ever lost your way thinking that you were going to one place and you ended up in another and needed someone to guide you to the right place? Well, that happened to Lydia and I recently. We were invited to Albany to testify about the cause of poverty and the impact of it and some solutions. A few days prior, we had worked with asylum seekers to file a petition against a contractor who had taken advantage of them, refusing to pay them for two weeks of work that they had done. We met with investigators here locally who told us that after we filed the workplace complaint, we'd have to mail it to Albany and then Albany would have to send it back to Rochester before any movement could happen on the case. Well, we knew that we were going to be in Albany in a few days, so our plan was to simply walk it in. And so we, after we finished our testimony, we set off and we set our GPS for that address. To our surprise, the GPS just kept sending us in circles and circles and circles that ended nowhere. And then it took us to a group of commercial buildings and then to some apartment buildings that clearly was not what we were looking for. Finally, we pulled over and we asked someone for directions. And after a few more turns, we found the building we were looking for and we were able to successfully deliver the petition. Now these magi, like us, they needed help to find out where Jesus was born. They were looking for baby Jesus, who was born in Bethlehem, but somehow they were guided by their GPS star to Jerusalem. And they show up there asking, where is this child? Eventually their questions will reach Herod, who becomes troubled about the idea of a child being born that would replace him as king. And so he too wants to find this child, but not for the reasons of worship and paying homage like the Magi, but for more sinister reasons of getting rid of his competition. Herod fears replacement. But you know, this fear is not uncommon. We often struggle with this kind of fear, maybe in our workplace wondering if we don't perform the way that we're expected, will we be replaced? I have sometimes sat with spouses who were dying, who worried about who would replace them in a relationship 
with the one they were leaving behind. Sometimes we're even told by the church, if you don't do what God wants from you, God will replace you and move on to someone else. The fear of replacement comes with this notion that maybe I'm not adequate, maybe I'm not enough, and it can wear away at your sense of worth. It is in these moments that it is important to remember that God makes each of us unique and that we may move through jobs and relationships and different levels of faith, but at no time does it mean we aren't enough, that we aren't adequate, that we aren't worthy. I'm sure that Peter felt that anxiety after three denials of Jesus, and yet Jesus doesn't replace him. He again reappears to him post-resurrection, and he invites Peter again to feed my sheep in a declaration of love. And Peter becomes a great shepherd of that love. So Herod's anxiety leads him down a dark path, instead of down a path of light. His struggle to remember that he is enough and that one person's elevation doesn't necessarily mean another person's demise or demotion. Yes, he was a terrible king, but there was actually room for Herod and Jesus to coexist. One didn't have to be eliminated by the other. You see, imperial and empire thinking sees the world as competition in terms of winning and losing. But Jesus' thinking is different. Jesus' thinking sees the world as a family where we all win together and we work together to let our light shine. And the minute we forget that truth, it can take us down the wrong path of thinking as it took Herod. The Magi are eventually guided to Bethlehem after Herod consults with the chief priests and the scribes who understood a different prophecy that spoke of this child being born in Bethlehem. This baby, who the Magi somehow understood to be a different kind of king, who would have a lesson for our world and for Herod on how to use power and how to be light. This nonviolent servant king who comes to teach us that power and light in its rightful use is designed to free us, not subjugate us, to serve, not crush us, to heal, not harm us, to provide for those less fortunate, not to extract resources from and leave destitute and struggling. So they make their way to Bethlehem where they bow before Jesus and they offer gifts of gold, a precious metal, frankincense, a perfume and incense, and myrrh, and anointing oil. These gifts were common to bring to new kings, and they had special spiritual symbolism about Jesus himself. Gold representing his kingship, frankincense, a symbol of his priestly role, and myrrh, a symbol prefiguring his death. And they give these gifts they worship him and they return home by a different route. Now the details of this story can often raise more questions than it answers. We don't know who these magi are. Some scholars speculate that they are astrologer kings from countries in the East. Others say that they are significant because they represent Jesus not just being Israel's king, but king of the whole earth for everybody. Heaven's door is thrown wide open for all to come, the Jew and the Gentile. Everybody 
is called to this child of light. Now, what we know is that their lives were touched by and impacted by the world they lived in, by the imperial power and the decisions that it makes. And this day, their lives were also touched and impacted by Jesus, his vulnerability, his accessibility, his desire to love and be loved. Just as we're impacted by him and our engagement in Jesus' presence in our lives, they follow a light to find him, and they found their light in him. This light of the world in the form of a child, they chose to follow that light and not return to Herod. And it's important that they did that because it tells us that something happened in that encounter. It was important for these three to see a different kind of kingly power in Jesus, to experience Jesus as a nonviolent baby king whose only desire is to bring us light and love, one who comes to flood our world with divine light. This light erases the gradients of place that is often present in our world, and it levels the playing field of love. Everybody has a place. No one is left out. No little eyes, as my grandmother used to say, or big U's. We're simply invited back into each other's life to be Ken, to honor each other, to remind each other of our connection to thrive together, to put away weapons of violence and warfare, to turn them into plowshares, to create a world that is safe, that is fun, and that is filled with light. We always have a choice in what we follow. We can follow the darkness or we can follow the light. And we can see that light all over the world if we look hard and long enough. Like the story of a woman named Delaine Evanowski of Missouri. She planned for months in secret to donate her kidney to her father who was diagnosed with a type of kidney disease that would lead to kidney failure. Despite his objections to her undergoing the surgery, she decided to follow her light and she gave him life. But you know, we don't have to go to Missouri to see people follow their light. Lauren Arzetta follows her light every week in how she engages new parishioners. She helps new people feel the love of this community in her smile, her excitement, her birthday dance, the way she never fails to say, welcome home. And when I follow my light, I find that I'm kinder, I'm more patient, more forgiving, more generous, and maybe you are too. A very wise saying reminded us that light must come from the inside. You cannot ask the darkness to leave, you must turn on the light. So what helps you to follow your light? A passage of scripture, reflection, a childhood lesson, spending time with Jesus, being inspired by others. Whatever it is, we're invited to stay on the journey to follow the light of Christ like the Magi. They follow a light to find him and they found their light in him just as we do. Now what is left to do is to carry that light and to share it with others. Lord knows our world needs it. Shotki Gawain once said, the more light we allow within us, the brighter the world we live in will be.